Welcome back to Defeat the Chaos. We are live again this week, and I am excited to be here. Listen, I have got the girl gang with me again this week. Cheryl Devon and Michelle Fuller here for all the things we're going to be talking about today. And honestly, I have no idea where this one could go. The title of today's episode is We Do Hard Things, and I am always compelled in my head to say, that's what she said. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm a child, but Defeat the Chaos is a show for small business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs where we cover the successes and the failures of being an entrepreneur. And this week, I think we're probably going to touch on, I last, the reason we were not live last week is because I was off participating in the world's hilliest half marathon. So I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit, but who knows where the hell else will go. So good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Fabulous for me. I saw Michael Buble last night in Austin. How was he? Fabulous. You looked you looked absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. You looked stunning. Thank you. Yeah, he, you uh you had the greens popping. I know. The sun hit my eyes just right and that was a a photo op moment. But yeah, Michael Buble was incredible. His voice is like silk. And the show was outstanding. It was very, very entertaining. I thought it was going to be incredibly boring. I have to be honest. My fiance was all about it, bought the tickets. And I thought, eh, okay, whatever. Because we're going to see Post Malone. <laughs> okay. That's that's a difference. That's that's going to be right? fun. Nice. It was so great. It was so great. It took me back in time. He has a lot of, lot of uh, heartfelt songs you know, but Michael Buble is uh, Frank Sinatra and, you know, he's a little bit of Elvis. I mean, he's just so old school with his voice and his sound. It was great. Um, definitely the crowd that we were in was a low speed. We're thinking that Post Malone is going to be a little bit more higher. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it was great. Different energy. That, that's, that's awesome. Great. Hey, listen, before we get into the ranting, the raging, the fun, the really good stuff, I want to take a couple of minutes because there's just something that <clears throat> as both of you know, has been like just weighing really heavy on my heart all week and has for some time now. But I just want to talk, take just a minute. And neither of you know where I'm going, though you probably know where I'm going now. Like, I want to take a minute to really talk about mental health. And I know like there is such stigma in this country around struggling with mental health for whatever reason, and especially for men. And mm -hmm. men are far more likely to suffer from depression, from mental health issues, because they don't have their own girl gang. They're sort of taught not to talk about their emotions and whatnot. And um, it's they're far more likely statistically to commit suicide. And so just for all of our listeners, like it is so important to really check in on people Give people the space to talk about things, to just listen. You don't have to offer solutions to ask how people are doing and to genuinely be there for people. And I also just want to really give out the phone number for the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK. There's somebody available 24-7, and I think it's just really important that we recognize how 
critical of a point we are in our country with mental health. Agreed. Agreed. I think, I think men, especially um, in, in the situation that we find ourselves in over the past few years, probably have a lot more pressure put on them and, and a lot more conflicting pressures put on them than they've ever had before. Because like you said, they're, they're taught growing up to um, don't, don't talk about your feelings. You're not supposed to have them. You know, you don't, you don't have the, the gangs. You've got the guys you hang out with, but you don't talk about anything really um, substantive at yeah. all. But at the same time, society is now coming at, at them, telling them that's, that's, that's toxic. Their whole nature is toxic, and you need to be mm-hmm. this, and you need to be this. And, and you've got all of this conflict going on and all of these different pressures. And I, 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 I don't envy. I don't envy men right now. I I, I hope that the men that are listening right now will take what Julie said to heart. There's always, there's always somebody find find that one person to confide in or or use that phone number. Tell a total stranger if it makes you feel less uncomfortable that, you know. But but talk, talk to somebody. And I think it's really important to say that we you never know right so you you do not know and and I look I'll be really transparent the the big part of the reason that I'm having this conversation right now is because um Neil Curry who runs um who was the founder and owner of Ready Gunner out of Linden Utah and you know big 2A guy doesn't matter he's an ex um army ranger and just this amazing human being wife six children he committed suicide on Saturday and if you looked at his social media, you would have thought he was the happiest, most satisfied, well-adjusted human being on the planet. And if you would have paid attention to the outpouring of people who feel that loss so deeply, right? And just trying to navigate now this world without this really bright, bright, bright spot in it. And people are really struggling with that. And so you know, I don't listen. I understand mental health issues. I understand them and I understand how hard it is to talk about them. I think it's so critical that we take care of each other, that we look out for each other and that we offer a soft place for people to land when they need it. And we have to get better at recognizing when people need it. If they show it to us. You know, and they may not, and that's yeah. the that's mm-hmm. the scariest part. the the one The one thing that you know, maybe if if let's say you're 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 listening right now, and and you're thinking I've got so much, but I don't I'm not important enough to have you know to to share my stuff. It's not important enough. Yes, it is. I mean, this the the whole thing with 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 Neil, I, probably he didn't think there was, there was any escape or that there was any, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't speculate. I, I wasn't, I, I don't know, but you're so important to somebody mm-hmm. and you don't even know how much impact you're having. So if, if you're, if you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you're just starting out and you're thinking, well, you know, who's going to miss me. It's, it's not that big of a deal. Um, what I'm doing really isn't all that important. Yes, it is. You don't even know whom whom you're you're touching, whom you're impacting. Yes, 
yes, you are that important. And you just, you need, you just need to hold on to that. There's, there's at least one person that thinks you are the sun and the moon and the entire universe. And you may not even know it, but you are that, that important. And if you were, you were to be gone, that light for that person is gone too. It causes this, this chain reaction. Just reach out to somebody. I really believe the shock waves that everyone's feeling on the other side of Neil's death, not just the compassion and the empathy that we have for his family, his wife and his kids, especially. I think the reason that we all feel so torn and um, the reason that we really struggle with it is because it is a shock because it was absolutely shocking. No one expected it. No one, there were no signs. Am I wrong, Julie? There's nothing that's really come out yet that even indicates that he was really struggling other than, you know, his, uh, his past in the military. We, we talk all the time and I just want to talk really briefly about veterans. Both of my kids are, are kids of veterans. My son was actually born on Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Both of my ex-husband served in wars. With that said, there's a lot that they see and experience that we will never, ever, ever comprehend. And our veterans, especially, they struggle the most with it because when they come back, they somehow have to deal with what happened emotionally in a different place, a different world, when they were doing what they were supposed to do, what they were told to do, and then somehow adapt to living you know, a life with a wife and kids. I really believe that for them, it's not only leaving the military and trying to build a career outside of the military, but still emotionally being attached, not even attached, but the memories of the past and what they had to do and what they experienced. My heart is is definitely with this entire family. It's shocking and it's really devastating. Yeah. Um, I Speaking of veterans, so I, this is a little bit of a lighter note, but, um, you know, I, Veterans Day was my mother's favorite day of the year. She was not in the military. No, no, my father wasn't in the military. Her parents weren't in the military. She loved Veterans Day, her favorite day, November 11th. It is the day that we spread her ashes after she passed away. Whenever I see the number 1111, I always say, hi, mom, because I just, it reminds me of her. But my favorite story is when um, my younger brothers were, I don't, oh, they were young. I want to say like maybe, you know, fifth grade and eighth grade, fifth grade, fifth grade and eighth grade. I think there's like three years between Ben and Mark. And it was Veterans Day. They were getting ready for school. My mom was making them breakfast because hot breakfast because it was after October 1st and that was the rule in our house. After October 1st, you had to have hot breakfast. <laughs> and um, <laughs> she's making them hot know breakfast. something about Julie's morning routine when she was yes. yes, yes, yes. Well, it was, grew up in Minnesota, so it was cold. You, right? you, you so needed she, the hot breakfast. She wanted to fortify us for school. So she um, sat down and she said, today's a really big day. It's an important day for our country. She said, I'm really excited for what you're going to learn in school today. She said, when you come home, she said, we'll sit down over some cookies and we're going to talk about what you learned in school today. So just really pay attention today. I'm just excited, right? She loved Veterans Day. And they went to school and she baked cookies and they came home and she's like, what did you learn? And 
my brother Mark said, no, I didn't, nobody, nobody, nobody talked about it. Nobody talked about Veterans Day. It didn't get mentioned. And my brother Ben said, nobody talked about it for us either. <laughs> my mom was like, I'll be right back. <laughs> she grabbed her purse, drove, got in the car, drove. We were like seven miles outside of town, drove to the school, walked in, like cussed out the principal. Like, what are you doing? Then wrote a letter to the local paper, like shaming the entire school district and then went to a school board meeting where she was like, this is unacceptable. These people fight for our freedoms. They give up their lives. They sacrifice everything. And we can't even mention them on Veterans Day. Like she lost her holy hell shit that day. (laughs) I can imagine Bartholo was loving hers. (laughs) Oh my God. And she was so proud of herself because she, I mean, she she was like, she was angry as hell. Like this is not how we treat people who fight for our freedoms. And I will never, ever forget that day ever. And I just like Veterans Day has become my favorite day. I think it is such an important day to honor people. But, you know, back to what you said, Michelle, like we just, you don't know, you have no idea what battles people are fighting. And that's why it's so, the words we choose to say to other people are so important, so important. They matter so much. And for people to know that, you know, you care about them or that someone cares is really, it it can be the difference between life and death. And I do not mean that in a, you know, I mean that very literally in the actual original dictionary definition of the word literal. I mean, it is, it's the power of a five minute conversation. You've got that power to it, you you don't know you never know what what someone in, in any any circumstance around you total stranger tell them tell them they got nice eyes tell them tell them you like their shoes tell them something D- spread that little that little teeny tiny thing might be what prevents them from crossing over the edge later on you you don't know that's that's one of the hard things. I mean, we're, we're talking about doing the hard things. This might be the hardest thing for people to do. Reach out to each other, whether you know them or not. Just reach out. Do something. Something. It, it, it's hard. It is hard. This is the hard thing to talk about. Yeah, I agree. It's It's devastating for any family that experiences it. It's devastating for friends that are watching a family go through it. And it's devastating for any of us that are personally affected by it. It is. And I can, I I will share this one quick story of how much words matter. So short, we were probably about, I don't know, eight months into having started um, our business, SB Pace. And we were not making money. We were struggling. I had never really experienced anything like it in my life. And I was extremely depressed. And I was very worried about financials. I was rapidly running out of money. I was filled with shame over it. I didn't want to tell anybody because social media tells us that all entrepreneurs are instant millionaires. 
and that everybody's wildly successful right away. And I was really, really feeling very worthless and very like, this is like, I just felt like I was adding nothing to society. And someone said to me in a drunken night, they were drunk. I was not that if they literally said, if you died tomorrow, there's not a person on this earth who would even notice. It took me weeks to get over that weeks. I can still hear it in my head. And I can tell you that person had no fucking clue what was happening inside of my head before it was said. But I liked, I would like to believe that if they knew they would have never uttered those words. So we should just assume that people are battling shit and we cannot say things of that nature to people. We really need to support people and lift them up and offer help, even if it is nothing more than just sitting with someone and giving them space. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That there's, there's no reason. There's no reason to have, you know, we, we spend so much time as a society and, and globally fighting each other. What if we just fought to do something helpful, <laughs> you know, fought, fought to be a better, better human being with other, with other people, you know, fought, fought to just do one, say one nice thing every day, make somebody laugh, somebody smile, just fight for that. We fight for everything, everything negative under the sun. Why can't we fight for something positive for a change? Yeah, I agree. I, I 100% agree. And, um, so listen, this, um, one quick thing that I wanted to talk about ended up taking up the entire segment, but I think it was a really important conversation. And um, I just, I'm just going to say if there's anybody out there who is struggling, like use that number or for, you know, reach out, reach out to any of us. We would gladly sit and hold space for you and, and help you navigate whatever it is that you're going through. I know we rant and rage a lot, <laughs> and, um, but we're we, actually we have a heart. We have we hearts. Will, <laughs> yeah. We probably have more heart than anything else. We really do. That's why we're so passionate. <laughs> we rage. <laughs> exactly. All right. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about something a little bit more uplifting, but probably not as important. Hey everybody, it's Corey and Julie from Defeat the Chaos. Our show on the Voice America Business Channel is for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and winners. If you're a loser, scram. Yeah, scram losers. Defeat the Chaos hits on the struggles of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. We celebrate the wins and we dissect the losses. And unlike most boring business shows, we aren't that. We like to have fun. We have informative guests on. We talk about current events that affect small businesses. And there's plenty of gambling talk because risk and owning a small business go hand in hand. Oh, and we record live so there's no editing or production if we screw up, which we do. So join us every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel or catch the replays whenever you have time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
All right. Welcome back to the show. Um, thanks. If you stuck with us through that first segment, um, that was an important segment, I think, for all of us to to talk through. But let's let's flip over to some more exciting or maybe lighter or funnier topics. I don't know. Let's see where it goes. I have no idea where we're going. Well, I have no idea where we're going next. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Cheryl, Michelle. Any thoughts on topics now that we've covered the most brutal, excruciating one? Well, we're talking about the hard stuff today, doing the hard stuff. And I know you don't want to, you probably don't want to go ahead and and shine your own star in your spotlight, Julie, but you just did something hard, something incredibly hard, something that is life transforming because you're going to take everything you learned out of this experience and apply it in your life, in all kinds of places. Why don't you, why don't you tell everybody what you did? I participated in the world's hilliest half marathon. I was up in Maine for a week and, um, on last Thursday and Friday, I was in South Berwick, Maine for, um, Jesse Itzler started a new company called all day running company. And their first event that they put on their first official event that they put on was the world's hilliest half marathon. It's called hell on the hill. And Thursday was just sort of this gathering of people. There was 250 people who ran it. Thursday was saunas, um, cold plunges, different vendors, yoga, breath work, um, open swim in the lake, with an Olympic cha- with two Olympic champions, um, and then um, hiking. And then we had dinner, and we had um, uh, Jesse did a keynote speech, and then we had like a panel of speakers who talked with, including um, Des Linden, the 2018 um, Women's Boston Marathon um, winner. And then on Friday morning, starting, we gathered around 5:30 in the morning, had breakfast. And then um, we spent a little bit of time with people um, standing up and saying what they were running for, who they were running for. And ironically, or maybe not ironically, very on theme for me, I said I wasn't running for a specific person. I was running for everyone who was struggling with mental health. I was literally who I was running. That that is some irony. And <laughs> um, the what Jesse does is it was a four-hour timed event. So you had four hours to finish 13.1 miles and um, the top of the second hour, they do 15 minutes of silence where everybody is thinking about who they are running for. Um, I really loved the 15 minutes of silence because there was a cowbell there and that cowbell was silent for 15 minutes, (laughs) which was really amazing for me. Um, But I had a panic attack in the middle of the 15 minutes of silence and had to get myself out of it. Um, cause I didn't want to ruin anybody else's 15 minutes. So I was, I had to talk myself out of it before it became full blown, like on the ground, on my knees, um, panic attack. And, um, I think for me, the biggest victory was so full disclosure, I did not finish the, tr- the 13.1 miles. Um, but I did, I finished 11.3 and I never quit, never quit. Woo! And I identified really early on things that were going to make it easier for me, things, asks that I had to help me um, get to the end. And the single biggest victory, not one, not one negative thought in four 
hours. There was not one ounce of resistance that came into my brain to tell me that I couldn't fucking do it. Not once. I love that. Euphoria. I think you, you, you hit, you hit on so many different points about, I mean, listen, hell on the hill. I'll paddle 340 miles before I'll, I'll do hell on the hill. There, there is absolutely no way you could get me to do 13.1 miles up and down a hill. There's so uh, that's badass. That's hard enough unto itself, but you, you, you hit on, on different hard things that you had to learn to get through to succeed in this. Yeah. That, that I think, I think we can, we can take and apply that into everything, into our personal lives, into our businesses. I mean, you, you started out where you had a panic attack in the middle of the 15 minutes of silence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a little, that's a little difficult. I mean, how many times have we, have, have we experienced, you know, something where you're like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And you had to do it yourself. I, I did. And I think one of the things that I, I want to point out, um, sorry to interrupt you, Cheryl, is Jesse designs things to be not only physically challenging, but mentally challenging. Right. So this wasn't like this trail run. I'm talking, this was a hill that went 10th of a mile up. And then you just went 10th of a mile back down and just repeated it 65 times. So you had to get over the mental part of you weren't actually, you were just repeating the same thing, right? So a lot of analogies to business, right? Where that consistency is so important. And that's what this was about. Find a pace, stick with the pace, and just consistently turn left. Just turn left. That's all you could do was turn left. But, you know, recognizing along the way, like we we take blows. Like when you're in the arena and you're doing something, you are going to get hit with adversity. The hard shit is going to come your way harder than what you're already doing. And you got to figure out how to navigate through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you're going, you're not going to see the finish line. I mean, like you said, it's just nothing but left turns for you. You're up and down and up and down and you're steep. What was the incline? Um, so it was about a 13% ing- incline. So over the 13.1 miles, it was 8,800 feet of elevation change. Here's some perspective for you. If you took the six top marathons in the world, which they, I think they call it like the, the world marathon circuit or something like that. Right. So we're talking Berlin, Tokyo, London, Chicago, New York, and Boston. He took all of those, all of those combined, combined, they're like 158 miles or something like that. I can't really math that fast in my head. Those six marathons have less than 2,000 feet of elevation change in total. We did 8,800 in 13.1 miles. Wow. And the trick was to stay consistent. That was one of, one of the ways to get through the hard stuff. How did you get yourself through the panic attack? Um, I started asking myself questions. I started, you know, I I was literally like, what are you, what are you thinking about? Like, where are your thoughts going right now? And like breathing, like count your breaths. So uh, maybe a little, I don't know, 
um, ADHD, maybe a little autistic. I don't know. I count. I counting soothes me for as much as I suck at math. Counting soothes me, but only in odd numbers. So it was like taking three breaths in, holding three breaths out. And then just repeating that really, that helped me. The trick was I needed to catch it before I started to cry. Cause I knew if I started to cry, cause I could feel the tears coming. And I knew if I got the actual tears coming down my face, I was very likely going to get to the point where I was going to throw up. And so I had to like really figure out, okay, what do I, what am I doing here? And so I was just focused on my breathing and then really was like, what are you thinking about? What thoughts are you having right now that are causing you to go in this direction? And I couldn't, there was no, I couldn't make a correlation. I think it was just, this might sound really silly. Um, the overwhelming feeling of that silence and knowing that we were doing something that so many people can't. Won't. Won't. Won't and can't. There's a lot of people who can't do it, mm-hmm. right? So I was, that's what I was really like focused on was that. I think that's, that's a hell of a lesson to take back into, into life, you know, into, into the business world, into all of it is, you know, you, you get overwhelmed, you, but the way you got yourself, start asking, take a step back and start asking those questions, start getting into your routine know that the process works if you keep with that routine and that, you know, when you, when you step back and you, you start <laughs> looking at it and asking yourself some questions, you're like, I, I, this, this is not, this is not the hurdle I'm making it out to be. This is, this is not the mountain. I'm getting ready to do the mountain or the, the hill in this case. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really proud of myself because I, you know, obviously the hill was the hardest part. I was far more worried about the downhill than the uphill. I'm going to be very honest. And the reason is because downhills are really hard on your knees, right? So it was, and, and the downhill felt steeper than the uphill. And when people were running the downhill, they looked out of control and that scared right. me. And right in the middle of the downhill was this little patch, probably about the size of, maybe like the size of like a bathtub. It was just rocks just sticking out. Right. (laughs) And so I was like, Oh, that could be really damaging for someone's knee. So I waited until I was a little bit further down the hill before I would start running. And so there was like, I probably ran, I ran like half of each lap or maybe like a quarter of each lap, but it really depended on where we were. Cause I wasn't doing the steepest part of the downhill, but I did ask Jesse has a phenomenal team. His team is they're beyond amazing. And I am the type of person, and I don't know if this will resonate with either of you. Like you can take your cheerleading and shove it up your fucking ass. Like I don't have time. I, it does not motivate me. It demotivates me. I am like, I listen, I will watch cheerleaders. I do not need cheerleaders. Like it, like fuck off with your like, I'm like, I don't, I don't, that doesn't help me. Right. So. And so naturally the woman with the giant sign and the, and the cowbell, bless her heart. She was there. And, and so many people loved the cowbell. They're like, Oh, the cowbell's amazing. I'm like, Oh, we need more cowbell. Oh, my Isn't that God. what they say? <laughs> yes. But for me, it was a, 
that was a bigger mind challenge for me than almost anything was like drowning out the cheerleading. Like I can't hear it. Like it doesn't help me. It angers me. I'm like, shut up. So, which I know is weird. And like, does anybody else feel that way? Like, fuck off with your, like, like, I know I can do it. I could do it better if you would shut the fuck up. So anyway, (laughs) one of his people, her name was Natalie. I said, hey, Natalie, can you do me a favor? Can you just like walk this little portion of the hill with me? Not even the whole hill, just this little portion. Walk with me. Tell me a story. Don't ask me questions. Just tell me a story. Tell me anything. So she looked sure. So she probably walked with me like a minute, right? If that, tell me a quick story. Got to the top of the hill. And then at, there's two aid stations, an aid station at the bottom of the hill, an aid station at the top of the hill. And the aid station at the top of the hill was ran by volunteers who, uh, I got to believe they were like, you know, these like college kids, four guys and a girl. And I went there, I stopped at that aid station and I said, can you guys do me a favor? And they're like, yeah, what do you need? And I'm like, every time I talk, come by, can you talk shit to me? Like I got to come balance. Like that. what's <laughs> happening at the bottom of the hill? Just like talk shit to me. And honestly, they were, that was my single greatest move. Because they literally, like, they were so funny. They said the best things. And every lap, I looked forward to getting to the top of the hill because I wanted to hear what crazy shit they were going to say to me next. And it was just, it was fun. Other people were offended. They wanted me to turn them into Jesse for being mean to me. And I'm like, they, I actually asked them to do it. They were amazing. But that's what I needed. And I figured out, I figured out what I needed really fast and I asked for it and I got it. The analogies between this experience, this, this physical experience and, and, and entrepreneurship, small business ownership are, are so just right in your face, (laughs) you know, the downhill, the downhill is always the scariest when you're going downhill, the, the, the cheerleading. I mean, when, when somebody's telling you how great you are all the time, when you're starting your business, how does that fucking help? That doesn't, that doesn't help. You don't grow from that. It's the shit talkers that get you inspired, make you take a look at stuff and get you up that hill and down. It's what gets your ass to the top of the heap. And you know, they're going to hate you and, and give you hell. Julie, this is this, this is the hard stuff that, that, that people don't tackle and they should because you mm-hmm. learn so much about yourself and about what you can accomplish. And I love that you did this and I love that you're sharing this. Yeah. Can I tell, can I share one more quick story, please? Yeah. So on Thursday night, when they did the panel discussion, Des Linden, the Boston Marathon champ of 2018 women's told the story of um, that race that year, she was going to quit, Right. So at Boston's a point to point, 26.1 miles. It was 39 degrees that year. There was 20 mile an hour headwinds the entire way. She's like running into the wind. It's a little bit rainy. It's cold. She's not feeling it. She's running with Shailene Flanagan and she tells, they stop at porta potties, go to the bathroom. And when, when Shailene comes out, she tells her she's going to drop. She said, but I'm going to run in service of you. I'm going to get you to the chase pack and then I'm going to get you to the lead pack. And she said, so you can draft off me, save your energy so you can win. So they set out, they get her to the chase pack, they get her to the lead pack. And Des realizes that she's just got a whole lot left in her tank more than probably anybody else. And now she's feeling it. So she tells Shailene, she's like, I'm not going to drop. I'm going to keep running. Shailene's like, go for it. And so her point was that sometimes the only thing we can do is do something in service of others, right? So 
that was her goal that day. Her mission was to serve Shailene and she ended up winning going through that because she'd been energized by that work. Well, when I was on the Hill on Friday morning, I had met this guy on Thursday for like three minutes, Chad. And we were, um, we talked very briefly, right? I knew very little about him. I didn't even remember his name. We're about two hours in and Chad finds me. And um, he, when you were, had five laps left, you got a green sweatband, think 1980s green sweatband, bright green sweatband to put on your wrist. So people knew you were almost done. And Chad was wearing the sweatband. I said, oh, you're almost done. He said, oh, I finished. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm here in service of you. I'm sticking with you until the end. He's like, either till you finish 13.1 or until the four miles are up, I'm here with you. He never left my side. He stayed with me the entire next two hours. We walked, we talked, we laughed. Like it was like the two hours went so fast and it was so enjoyable and that he literally was like, I'm here for you. This is it. I am I am here in service of you and making sure that you have the race that you want to have. And honestly, we were done. The race was over. I didn't see him. It was over. Thank you, Chad, for helping our girl, Julie, on that last half. Shout yeah. out to Chad. Big shout out. I mean, it's it's amazing that you do. You end up with more in your tank when you're there for somebody else. It, it benefits the person you're helping, it benefited you, Julie. It benefit you know it benefited him. He loved that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just yeah. everything. Everything about this is a lesson. It is. And then, you know, and that's the biggest thing I think that we learn in business is like you have to like when you when you are an entrepreneur and you stop focusing on the money coming into your bank account and you start focusing on how you're helping others, it is a complete and total game changer. Agreed. Complete and total. All right. It is time for a break. Today is just flying. It is it's flying. Crazy. We haven't raged over anything yet. So maybe we need wait. to. <laughs> maybe we need to. Segment. All right. We will stick with us and we'll see you on the other side. Hey, everybody, it's Corey and Julie from Defeat the Chaos. Our show on the Voice America Business Channel is for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and winners. If you're a loser, scram. Yeah, scram losers. Defeat the Chaos hits on the struggles of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. We celebrate the wins and we dissect the losses. And unlike most boring business shows, we aren't that. We like to have fun. We have informative guests on. We talk about current events that affect small businesses. And there's plenty of gambling talk because risk and owning a small business go hand in hand. Oh, and we record live, so there's no editing or production if we screw up, which we do. So join us every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel or catch the replays whenever you have time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. And welcome back to Defeat the Chaos, our final segment. I'm Cheryl Devon with Julie Traxler and Michelle Fuller. And, uh, you know, it's been it, it's been talking about the hard things and, and a really inspiring, motivational 
show, I think, so far, but I know, I know right now that the one thing you're probably waiting for is the rage. <laughs> True to our nature. Because we we are just a, a couple, three raging uh, bitches periodically. <laughs> There's so much to rage about. There There's really so- is. Let's go. Ridiculousness. Michelle, let's let's get some rage. Yeah. Lay it on us. What are you raging about today? Um, Let's talk about the teacher in El Paso, Texas. A teacher in El Paso, Texas was recently fired because she was telling no shit her students. It was recorded, by the way, uh, to call. And I'm just going to call them what they are pedophiles maps. For those of you that don't know what map stands for, it's minor attracted persons. Essentially what they're trying to do is rebrand what a pedophile actually is. And if you don't know what a pedophile is, it's a piece of shit who molests kids, who takes advantage of kids who does things that they should just frankly be put in prison for the rest of their life, period. They fired this teacher and rightfully so the school board voted unanimously. I'm going to go ahead and give a win to the state of Texas and the school board of El Paso for actually doing that. But I want to piggyback on that and say, I hope this teacher never has the opportunity to be in a classroom with kids ever again. I also want to say that I am completely against the use of MAP when you're talking about a pedophile, someone who takes advantage of kids. It's not a minor attracted person. It's a pedophile. It's someone that does not need to be out in society. And I can tell you, if someone showed up at my door to date my daughter, um, you, you might meet with demise. You might meet your maker. Not my first off. My favorite part of that was how you refer to it as a rebranding effort. It is. Well, it is. Can we, it's, that was amazing. I'm like, I thought you were going to use the word normalize, trying to normalize pedophilia. And you're like, it's a rebranding effort. Yeah. I'm like, Fuck. Mm-hmm. you're I'm, right though. It really I'm is. I'm not going to lie. It, that was, that was brilliant. And I, I caught myself too, Julie going, <laughs> that was, uh, that was really good, actually. Yeah. Listen, I have such strong, strong feelings about this that it I don't even know why this is a fucking conversation for people. No shit. Right. I I, I can tell you. Kids, we need to stop fucking around with our children. We need yeah. to stop. Like We are destroying an entire generation. And they can't figure out why these kids, why highest, you know, suicide, depression rates, they're off the chart. Why did this happen? It must be their games. No, it's the fucking games you're playing with the kids in our schools. Mm -hmm. Stop it. Stop Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I think, Cheryl, you, so (laughs) I really want to, I'm not going to, I will not lie. I, if ever you were to find out that I was in prison. (laughs) <laughs> that would be why, because yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'd be bailing your ass out because I, I'd know why. Yeah, that would be why. But the, if, you know, speaking of schools, <laughs> Carol, I think you have a, <laughs> I got a whole fucking litany of them this time. Let's go. Um, 
it. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll start on the federal level. Let's start on the federal level okay. with the whole um, change in um, Biden's Title IX rewrite and, and women's progress. Title IX, for those of you that don't know, Title IX is what allowed um, girls like us in the gang when we're going through school to participate equally and fully in sport. And, and there were a lot of good memories that were made, mm-hmm. but now it's being rewritten thanks to our current administration that, that says you cannot discriminate against those that feel womanly or girlish from competing. It, it, it doesn't matter whether or not they've transitioned. They've whatever. If, if you just, I'm going to walk in on a Wednesday and I suddenly I I'm identifying as as a girl. I'm going to join the women's volleyball team. I'm going to join the women's softball team and and compete and for shower the season with them. and shower with them. And if somebody were to pipe up and say something and and say somebody touched me inappropriately, somebody did it it it, it is just it's it's everything that we worked so hard to get so that Girls have equal playing time and, and get a fair shot at com- a competition. The, the woke party who, who claims we have to have equality in and we can't discriminate is discriminating at the highest fucking level. They, they want to rant and rave about you know, uh, the, the GOP or whomever taking away women's rights. What the fuck do they think they're doing at, at the youngest levels? Mm-hmm. Girls think, don't get to compete anymore. They don't. I just saw that the um, Boston Marathon added a new category for the participants. A non- oh, dear lord, a non-binary par- par- um, category, which gives an advantage to men, not women. Because honestly, I think it's all about keeping the damn men in power on okay. on on all under the guise of fairness and equality. It's bullshit. I'm just, uh, why, why can nobody see that the emperor is not wearing any clothing? (laughs) How, how is this, how is, how is this even, even happening? How is it that people, that totally makes sense. And no, now you, you, you you know, girls are enriched and everything is, is hunky dory and better. No, no, you, you are diminishing women who have, have spent decades fighting so hard for a fair shot. And now suddenly we don't even get, we're not even, we don't even get to be women. We're, we're lesser than the ones that are identifying as women that we're not biologically female. And I know that's probably going to get me into trouble with some people. I don't fucking care. Yeah, no shit. I don't care. You know, it's, it's that it, for me, um, and this is, you know, I know there's a lot of people in alignment with this. I don't care what you do as an adult. I don't, I don't either. No transition, yeah. transition. You want to date same sex. I don't care. You, like, you can date your fucking dog. I'm pretty sure it's illegal, but yeah, I don't I, care. I, that's not alone. I do not care. I, well, you do what you want to do. Love who you want to love. Cut off what body parts you want to cut off. I don't, I don't care. Do not yeah. care, but leave our kids alone leave them alone yeah 
Let them figure it out when they're adults. Stop, stop influencing. Stop, stop trying to fuck up the system all the way through. We need more angry parents. Yeah, we do. We need a lot more angry fucking parents. I can tell you as a mother, I'm a mama bear. And if anyone messes with my kids, you will feel the full wrath of me. There is nothing that will get me madder faster than someone messing with my kids, period. Like nothing. I really feel like when it comes to women's sports and I'm speaking because, you know, I had a daughter that played softball and I know how hard she worked when she was in that sport. I also know that it's incredibly, incredibly challenging. Now imagine, you know, if the highest speed, and I'm just using estimates here. So if the highest speed that a female can pitch, we'll just say is somewhere between 70 and 75. Do you guys realize that if a man takes like the mound to pitch because he identifies as a female for the day or whatever, that his lowest speed is going to be 75 to 80. There's no female that can hit off of him. It's just so vastly, um, unequal, unfair. And it just, man, it just, it sends me into a tailspin. It's, it's ridiculous. It's there's, there's so many people that sit back and say, but this is, it's all natural. It's not. And I'm, and, and I'm not saying that from a discriminatory standpoint. Let me, let me explain. So my, my daughter has a friend. They are adults by the way, over 18, in case you were wondering what that kid minor, you know, thing is, and in case you're, you're thinking about, you know, well, are you a pedophile or not? Uh, 18 and above that's, that's the adult thing, except in some States anyway. So my daughter has this friend, lovely, lovely person, but transitioning, um, has, has gone, is going through the whole, um, chemical process of transitioning from, male to female. We don't discriminate in this house. Come on in. Good person. My dog, though, does discriminate because Bob, Bob is our redneck dog. Bob literally sat and stared at my daughter's friend the entirety of the time that she was there growling would not let the friend get near him, touch him, pet him. Now the other dog is, she's a dog whore. She, she doesn't care. But Bob instinctively knew something was not correct. And I had the conversation with my daughter, you know, she's like, why is my dog, you know, homophobic? I said, he's not homophobic. He's, he's transphobic apparently because he can smell he can smell the, the chemical hormonal change and it's, it's not a natural, a natural thing. And so my dog who, who hasn't gone through all of this woke training instinctively knows <laughs> something is not correct. I felt bad because I mean, the friend, you know, genuinely loves animals and, and, and wanted to pet Bob and Bob was having no part of it. But if, if nature knows it's not natural, I'm sorry. It's not natural. You cannot deny that's you always want to follow the science. How about the science of, of, of nature? The do- when the dog knows that there's something, there's something that's not quite right. 
<laughs> I don't think the left actually believes in science. I don't think they do either. No, I don't. Only either. when it's convenient for mm-hmm. them. My mm-hmm. favorite story of the week that I just want to hit on really quick, I know we're coming to a close here, was learning that Kim Kardashian's mom, Chris, literally went through and viewed like seven different video tapes of the sex tape of Kim with Ray J to figure out which one had the best angle of her daughter and was going to get her the most fame. And that's the one that got accidentally released. And so that Chris, Chris Kardashian was completely behind determining which one was going to benefit them the most and which one showed the most flattering angles of her daughter's ass. So there is a mom that is actually a pimp and her daughter is a prostitute. (laughs) And she's getting rewarded monetarily for it. Big time. And we wonder why we're so fucked up as a society. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, that is Defeat the Chaos for today, Thursday, September 15th. Thanks for tuning in. And you can catch replays at any time and listen live next week on Voice America Business Channel. 